Laura Ellsworth welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Rick Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Deb Johnston to answer your medical questions. Dr. Johnston's specialty is family medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Johnston. Good morning, Laura. It's great to be here. Thank you for being here. We sure appreciate that. Um, On today's program, we want to talk about an update regarding our COVID-19 vaccines and availability. And then our Prairie Doc topic this week is telemedicine. So then we're going to talk about that as well. So if anyone has a question regarding either of those topics or other topics, give us a call at 605-692-1430. Let's begin by talking about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Last week it was put on hold and Dr. Cruz yep. was or Dr. Evans was here. We kind of talked about that. Um, and now it's been approved to start up again. What are your yes. thoughts on that, Dr. Johnston? My thought is that the the system is working exactly as it was intended to work. So we have a post-approval monitoring program, and the whole goal of that is that when you're doing studies, you really can't enroll as many people in the studies as will be exposed to the medicine or the treatment or the vaccine or whatever it is later on. So if we have something that's gonna happen to one in a million people, you're gonna have a hard time detecting that if you do a study that includes 100,000 people or 200,000 people. So the whole point is to continue to watch after a treatment has been approved, whether that is a surgical procedure or a medication or a hip prosthesis or a vaccine. We continue to watch those things to see if we can detect rare occurrences. And that's exactly what they did with this vaccine. So uh, detecting those initial six cases out of seven million doses caused them to call a halt, investigate those cases, look to see if they could find additional cases, and then decide about the ongoing safety of the vaccine. And when we're looking at COVID, we're looking at something that kills approximately 1% of the people that it infects. Now, it's not an equal opportunity killer. Some people are far more likely to end up in the hospital and die, but it still attacks people that you would not think to be at risk, such as the poor child in Minnesota that that recently died and the child that just came back from Hawaii that recently died. So we need to recognize that even though people are at low risk, from the virus. They are not at no risk Mm -hmm. from the virus. And the vaccine is the best way we have to protect everybody. The vaccine is not perfect. um, So you can be vaccinated and still come down with COVID, but your odds are much, much lower of getting COVID. And if you do get COVID, much, much lower of ending up in the hospital or dying. Mm -hmm. So the whole point with the calling the halt was so that they could investigate these cases review the safety of the vaccine and decide if they needed to make adjustments and who they recommended the vaccine for or even if it was still safe to do the vaccine and ultimately they decided that yes indeed 
The vaccine was very low risk, as you can imagine. Six out of seven million cases um, is a very low rate. And even if you ended up detecting more cases, it's still very low. So mm -hmm. I'm fully on board with the Janssen and the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and would give it to my children. Okay. Interesting. Good to know. It's good to know that's an option. And I have a press release here that the uh, we have an opportunity here in Brookings tomorrow um, for people who are interested in that Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, so that's tomorrow, Thursday, April 29th. And it's a walk-in uh, event for a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and that is at the Swiftel Center in Brookings from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. So it's that single dose vaccine. So that's an advantage. You only have to go one time and it's available to people 18 and older. When you come in, uh, you can walk in, no appointment necessary, bring a valid ID, such as your driver's license, a passport or a state issued ID. And if someone needs help with transportation, they can call for the beta bus and um, schedule that and they'll help you get to that appointment. So And get home again. And get home again. Yeah, so that's great. So so that is the advantage of the Johnson & Johnson, right? That it is just one yes. or one of the advantages? There, there are a couple of advantages to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The first one being that it's just a one-and-done vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, now, we don't know in five years, will people need boosters? But for right now, it is a one-and-done vaccine. So it's a great option for people who maybe have less predictable schedules and they can't necessarily say that they'll be able to come back in three or four weeks to get their booster. It's a great option for people who um, maybe are more transient populations, the homeless population, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's wonderful that way. It's also wonderful because the storage requirements on this vaccine are not nearly as rigid as the storage va requirements for the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. So this is going to be a vaccine that I think is going to be a lot, um, a lot easier to use going forward in the future. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. It is important as we age to add strength training to aerobic exercises. These activities will help you build strength, maintain bone density, and improve balance, coordination, and mobility, and reduce the risk of falling so that you can stay independent and perform activities of daily life. Talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings about strength training and get started today. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Before the break, we were talking about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and that there's an opportunity to get that tomorrow here in Brookings. Uh, it's a walk-in clinic at the Swiftel Center from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. So that's great. Um, Dr. Johnston, if someone is experiencing some hesit hesitancy towards getting a COVID-19 vaccine, what do you tell them? You know, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have concerns, um, and some of the concerns 
there's there's a lot of different concerns that people have some of the concerns come from misinformation things that they've read on the internet that you know are meant to be alarming to people so of course people are alarmed about mm-hmm. them and i would love to have our listeners call in and and share what kinds of things they have heard that maybe gave them pause or that they've heard from other people that they they would like uh, me to address and I will do my best to address mm. those concerns. Um, one of the concerns that I have heard is people concerned that the vaccines will change their DNA. And when you hear about the vaccine and all oh, this mRNA vaccine is new, um, you know, it's a very, very reasonable thing, especially if you don't have a really strong science background where you know what mRNA is and and what how it's different from DNA and how everything works. Um, so I, I, the short answer is no, none of the vaccines are going to change your DNA. The long answer is that the mRNA vaccines, the Johnson and jo- uh, not the Johnson and Johnson, I'm sorry, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are mRNA. mRNA is the copies of blueprints and the blueprints are made from the DNA in your cells. It only goes one way. It can't be converted back into DNA. So you're not going to make DNA off of that mRNA vaccine. The mRNA, the blueprints are used, then the blueprints are destroyed, and, and that's the end of it. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a little bit different. This is not an mRNA vaccine. It is a vaccine that is made... Um, with the the DNA that codes for that spike protein is inserted into an adenovirus. And adenoviruses are really common. They cause the common cold. They use one, a version of the adenovirus that is not real common in people. It infects people, but we want a virus that people haven't seen before because we don't want their immune system attacking and killing this virus before it can do its job. So they take that virus, they remove the part of the virus DNA that lets the virus reproduce. So um, the virus can't reproduce in your cells. Um, And it's a very interesting story that people probably don't want to hear about how they managed to make enough of that virus uh, to to make the vaccine. They add the, the DNA to that viral strand that codes for that spike protein and then the virus goes and does what what viruses do it goes in it invades into your cell it goes into your your dna now remember this is something that has happened since the beginning of time adenoviruses get into your cell and go into the cell nucleus where the cells own machinery make copies of that virus so that is something that has happened since the beginning of time and it has not incorporated into our dna so we don't have to worry about the johnson and johnson vaccine becoming part of our own dna the cells then use that pattern that master blueprint to make our own mrna to manufacture those spike proteins to teach our immune system. So your DNA is not going to change because of 
this vi- these vaccines of this virus or, or the mRNA vaccine or anything like that. Another hesitation that I hear from people is, oh, well, it will affect my fertility later on, I'll, uh, particularly from women. There's been a lot of, of concerns spread out there on the internet and um, women concerned that that will affect their ability to have babies in the future or affect the health of their babies. Uh, and, you know, that's that's a pretty scary thought. I, I don't blame people if they hear that for being being worried about it. And I think especially because when the vaccines first came out, there was the big unknown for pregnant people. And the reason for that big unknown was that pregnant people had not been included in the original studies. So they couldn't say, this is safe, this is approved for pregnant people. Um, However, since that time, lots and lots of pregnant people have gotten the vaccine. It appears to be safe. Again, the studies haven't come up, but all the major organizations that deal with with women's health and fetal health pregnancy um, have come out and said, hey, this is okay to do. And there's no reason to think that it will affect your fertility. It hasn't seemed to affect your fertility. People who've had COVID are still getting pregnant. There's no reason to think that the the vaccine could do anything to you that the virus can't. uh, And the virus can do a whole lot more. So you don't need to worry about your fertility. Um, You don't need to worry about your DNA. The vaccines are safe, they're effective, um, and everybody should get one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They really should. Thank you for addressing those concerns. Those are the couple that I have heard as well. And as Dr. Johnson said, she offered to answer any questions that we have as listeners um, about the vaccine. So if you have other concerns or questions about the vaccines, please do give us a call and we can um, hear from her what she thinks about that. So the phone number to call again is 605-692-1430. And we're going to go to our next break and give you a chance to make those calls. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Shingles, also called herpes zoster, is a painful rash disease. Shingles can lead to severe nerve pain called postherpetic neuralgia that can last for months or years after the rash goes away. Shingles is caused by the varicella zoster virus, the same virus that causes chickenpox. If you've had chickenpox, you can get shingles. Almost one out of three people in the United States will develop shingles in their lifetime. You can get shingles at any age, but it's more common in older adults. Older adults also are more likely to have severe disease. The Center for Disease Control recommends that people age 50 and older get the shingles vaccine called Shingrex. Set an appointment to discuss shingles with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Before the break, Dr. Johnston was helping us understand some of the common misinformation that is out there regarding COVID-19 vaccines. 
Another common one we are hearing about is that, um, our question we have is how um, COVID-19 vaccines may have been developed from fetal cell lines. Do you want to talk about that? That, that is true. All, of, all three of the vaccines that are approved here in the U.S., and frankly, I am not aware of even any vaccine approved in any other country or under development that has not used fetal cells at some point in its development. What's really important for people to understand is that the fetal tissue that is used in the development of these vaccines, um, there, there were two abortions, uh, elect, what we call elective abortions, so uh, people that chose to end their pregnancy and did not choose to end their pregnancy because they wanted their fetal tissue to be used for vaccine lines. They had other reasons for ending their, their pregnancy. One was in the 1970s. One was in the 1980s, um, both, as I understand it, in, in one of the Scandinavian countries, um, Sweden, I think. But tissue from those aborted fetuses have been used pretty much ever since in a variety of research and um, drug development processes. So it's important to recognize that it's not an ongoing abortion that is used to meet the demand for this. These are literally decades ago events that happened. With the two mRNA vaccines, the fetal tissue was used in the process of testing the vaccine. Um, it was not used in developing the, the vaccine. It was not used in in the manufacturing of the vaccine. It was used in the process where they were saying, hey, First, we have to prove in the lab that we should think that this would be effective, and then we're going to test it in people. So it was used at that step and has not been used since. There is no fetal tissue, there is no fetal DNA in that vaccine, but there were fetal cell lines that were used in the development of that vaccine. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and I, as I understand it, although I, I haven't double-checked this, the, um, the AstraZeneca vaccine as well, there is a little closer use of the fetal tissues. And in that case, remember before the break we were talking about how we, we use that adenovirus that had been changed as a way to get the, the spike protein into the cell. Well, we've got to make that adenovirus. We've got to have large numbers of that adenovirus in order to infect uh, people, in order to make have enough of it for the vaccine to work. And that virus grows best in human cells. So they use those cell cultures from, I th the, think that was the 1985 abortion, they use those cell cultures to grow enough of that virus, and then the, the culture is purified, all of those fetal cells are removed. Um, most of the time, most of those cells are killed anyway because that's what the virus does. It goes in, it infects the cell, the cell manufactures lots and lots of copies of the virus, and then the cell explodes and dies, and all of those little virus bits are released out to go and infect new cells. So no, none of the fetal cells, fetal tissue, fetal DNA is left in the virus, in the vaccine that you get. 
Um, but yes, it is used in the manufacture and it was also used in the development, as I understand it, of the vaccine. So there, it is true that fetal cell lines have been used in, in development of these vaccines. And that is true for other vaccines as well. The hepatitis A vaccine, a rabies vaccine, um, the chickenpox vaccine, the shingles vaccine. Um, there's a lot of uh, different technologies that have used fetal cell lines. Um, so it was something that had been used for a long time. The researchers knew that it worked. Um, alternatives are not easily obtained. Uh, it kind of comes down to a lot of people may be familiar with the idea of stem cells and stem cell research and how fetal tissue is is kind of the gold standard source of, of stem cells. And uh, until we have a better alternative, we're going to be using some fetal cells. Okay. We had a caller asking, if you've had coronavirus, should you still get a vaccine? We do recommend that people who had coronavirus still get the vaccine. We, we are even here in Brookings seeing people who get second cases of coronavirus. We have um, seen people who maybe were back in October or, or August had COVID and then got sick again after having seemed to recover entirely and um, get sick again and test positive again for COVID. So it is definitely possible to get it again. We recommend that once you are out of isolation, you go ahead and get your vaccine. The only um, caveat is that if you were somebody who was high risk and you got the antibody treatment, you need to wait for three months after your antibody treatment because the antibody treatment you know, the whole point of those antibodies is to to kill those virus cells, to catch those virus cells before they can make you sick. And they will catch those spike proteins that your vaccine is trying to help you learn to make and keep that vaccine from working very well. So definitely get your vaccine. Even if you've had coronavirus, we, we want to protect you. And the, the vaccine seemed to help protect you from the variants. Uh, so go get your vaccine as soon as you are either out of isolation or past that three-month mark. Okay. Another question came in, how long should I wait after having the COVID vaccine before getting the shingles vaccination? Oh, that's a great question. Um, that is a, an important thing that we need to kind of time our vaccines around each other. Um, most of the time when we give vaccines, particularly, let's say, the vaccines that children get, you know, we get lots of vaccines when you go in for your two-month checkup and your four-month checkup and your six-month checkup. And those vaccines have been studied to say how well they work with each other. So we know that we can do that. We don't have that kind of data with the um, COVID vaccine. So we are recommending that people wait two weeks between doses. So if you had your shingle shot, you have to wait two weeks to get your COVID shot. If you had your COVID shot, you need to wait two weeks before you can get your shingle shot. Depending on which COVID shot you got, if you got your COVID shot, you need, to, and you, let's say you got the Moderna COVID shot, you'll get your second shot in four weeks. And I would recommend that you just wait for that second COVID shot. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, you can get your shingle shot. Okay. 
That's good to so, know. So space those out by a couple of weeks. Yep, space okay. those out by at least two weeks. All right. And your provider will help you Absolutely. figure that out. Absolutely. We will help you figure that out. Okay. That's actually a fairly common conversation in my exam room about, mm -hmm. well, you're due for your tetanus shot or you're due for this shot or you're due for that shot. And, and how are we going to work that around your, your COVID shot? In fact, I tried to give a shot to somebody recently and she said, well, what about my, my COVID shot? And she was at seven days, so she okay. had to wait a little bit longer right. to get her tetanus shot. Mm -hmm. All right. Very good. Well, it's time to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. If you have any other questions, give us a call at 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Stroke is the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. A stroke occurs when a clot blocks the blood supply to part of the brain or when a blood vessel in or around the brain burst. In either case, parts of the brain become damaged or die. Stroke can cause weakness or numbness of an arm or leg on one side of the body or even one side of the face. It can also affect speech, language, vision, memory, emotions, and behavior. Talk with your provider about stroke prevention. Call the Vera Medical Group Brookings at 697-9500 for an appointment. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here to answer our medical questions. You can give us a call at 605-692-1430. Dr. Johnston is providing us lots of information regarding those COVID-19 vaccines and all the questions and misinformation and rumors we hear out there. So thank you, Dr. Johnston, for Absolutely. sharing great I, knowledge with us. I think, you know, I'm very excited about this vaccine. And right now, the only people that can't receive the vaccine are people that are too young for it. Mm -hmm. So the Pfizer vaccine is uh, 16 and above. The other vaccines are 18 and above. I'm hopeful that within the next month or two, at least one of those vaccines will be approved down to age 12 and hopeful that it won't be too long before all school-aged children are, are able to get that vaccine. I know my 15-year-old my is eager to get her shot, and it's a little disappointing almost to me in a way because I keep teasing her that at 12.01 on her 16th birthday, I'm <laughs> heading into her bedroom with a, with a syringe. <laughs> But sadly, she's not distressed by that idea. She thinks it's great. So, yes. <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise, there is no group for whom we're saying that you can't get the vaccine. There may be people who have unique circumstances that they want to talk it over with their doctor. Um, but as a as a general rule, if you're 16 and over, you can get that shot. And I'd really encourage you to to protect yourself. Um, it's it's COVID is not a fun disease, even if you don't end up in the hospital. And we don't know what will happen 10 years from now. We don't know what kind of long-term consequences there will be from COVID. So uh, just be smart, get the vaccine instead. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, I do want to touch briefly our, as I mentioned earlier, our Prairie Doc topic this week is telemedicine. So tomorrow night's television show, um, actually Vance Thompson is serving yes. as a guest host. And um, the topic they're going to explore on the television program is telemedicine. 
Um, just real briefly, Dr. Jensen, how has telemedicine really changed things in the last Boy, year during this pandemic? I, I tell you, I think we're going to see an awful lot of things in the world changing because of of changes we've had to make for the pandemic and have found, hey, that, that works pretty well. So I think all of us have done more telemedicine now. Um, most of us didn't do very much telemedicine beforehand. We certainly used it a lot, especially to enable our patients in here in Brookings to see specialists in Sioux Falls, for example, infectious disease specialists or cancer specialists. So we, we have some ability to do essentially telemedicine at the hospital for patients that are inpatients, especially in the intensive care unit. But I, as a primary care doctor, have been doing more telemedicine since the pandemic began. And, and that's very nice. I think especially for some of my, my patients with anxiety and depression, they get to visit with me from the comfort of their own home. Some things, obviously, it works better for than others. It works great for depression and anxiety because most of that is talking. Um, it's not so easy to do for things where the exam is a really important part of of the visit but uh, i think it's going to be a exploding opportunity as we go forward and that's a good thing yes as i understand you know in the beginning of the pandemic um the clinic did all sorts of things to kind of rearrange things it was yeah. doing quite a bit of telemedicine <laughs> which was great to keep things going in that way are you still doing like once a week are you doing like how does it is it still common or not I would say it's not as common okay. now as it was earlier in the yep. pandemic. I think that we're a little more judicious about what's a good telemedicine yep. um, opportunity and and what is better in person. Uh, I would I don't have like a day of the week dedicated to it. We will do it on a, a case by case basis. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, depending on what the person needs help with, yep. um, it may be perfectly appropriate to do as telemedicine. And if you have questions just ask. Right. Absolutely. Well, we'll look forward to learning more about telemedicine and kind of how medicine is transitioning um, through that program tomorrow night, this Thursday, April 29th. Prairie Doc guest host Vance Thompson is joined by Brian Scow, the chief medical officer of Avera eCare in Sioux Falls, and Dr. Philip Meyer of Avera St. Mary's in Pierre to discuss the rapidly expanding use of telemedicine between healthcare professionals and patients. So tune in for that tomorrow night on SDPB television at 7 p.m. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org. And look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Deb Johnston for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.